and someone once described them to me as as people who are open to widening the circle of concern that they they're that they believe that the that we all need to succeed together and that they're again they're they, they're not as interested in the differences between people they see us as more bound together which i think I, if you if you wanted to design the most hopeful kind of person to bring us into the next era of our lives as a society or as a human race um that that you need we need gen z if, if those things are true we need to figure out how to give them more um <laughs> more agency support them um, and, and give them that opportunity and, and seed some ground. You, you can see the mix of nationalities here. And welcome to the 30,000 Hours Podcast. I'm Monica Bolger, a PhD in education, and I'm joined by Michael Preston, Executive Director of the Joan Gans Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. Thanks, Monica. I'm so excited to be your next guest. <laughs> today, we're announcing an amazing new project at the Joan Gans Cooney Center um, that I and our colleague, Mary Madden, who was a recent guest of this podcast, are delighted to be collaborating with you, Michael, and your team on. The project's called By, With, For Youth, Inspiring Next Generation Public Media Audiences. And I think before we talk about the project, we should talk about the players, because uh, for many of us, um, when we think about public media, we think about maybe the shows we watched as children. So for my generation, that's Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, and then also what shows our kids might be watching. Um, but there's there's a wealth of materials there um, in public media. Um, and, and also the idea that public media is local and it's also national. So I was wondering, could you give us kind of the 101 on public media and then maybe on, on Joan Gans Cooney Center a little bit too, please? Um, public media has, been played such a large role in most of our lives growing up, right? I feel it's it's fun to be at an age now where the content that we consumed avidly as children has we are we are now the generation who's leading the work that uh, inherits that that uh, that legacy and goes somewhere new with it. And I think you know, as I talk to my sort of peers, age age level peers, like people get very excited about public media. They get excited about Sesame Street, and it gets excited about Star Wars. You know, the, the things that were defining for us as kids, um, and it's such a privilege to be able to inherit some of that legacy and and take it, it forward. Um, Sesame Street just celebrated its 50th anniversary last year, um, which is a, a large milestone. It, it first broadcast uh, on November 10th, 1969, I believe. And to look back on the era we lived in, what the 1960s were like, uh, and what chances, what risks the production team took, and how they creatively melded expert guidance from psychologists and educational researchers and child development experts, along with people who are making the most compelling media in, of the day uh, that got everybody watching and remembering what they saw, uh, was, was such a groundbreaking notion. And now we retreat it as, as normal. Uh, but at the time, it was all brand new, um, down to uh, the first multiracial primetime cast on television. So That's all these things seem particularly um, present and relevant today as well. Um, and so to be working with 
CPB, so CPB, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, um, whom I hope you speak to soon, are the body created by Congress um, out of the Public Broadcasting Act of uh, 1967, I think. And they uh, manage this, this public media landscape through an annual congressional allocation of funds. And more than a funding body, they are a thought partner, thought leader, and driver of, of so much of this work. And um, what makes makes it fun for us to work with them is that it's, is they operate at the network level. Like we have all these relationships with public local public media stations. Like everybody knows the call letters of the TV and radio stations that they have always relied on for exciting and relevant programming. Um, out here in New Jersey, I listen to WBGO, uh, New York Public Radio Jazz Station, and WNET has always been like the, the bedrock of, of great television programming for all ages. Um, but to think about both um, how to remain locally relevant and responsive while also meeting a broader public need for media in a time when media consumption habits have accelerated rapidly in new directions that were not imagined at the beginning of all this. It's, it's I don't know, there, I could go on, but there are all kinds of reasons why this is the most exciting work we could be doing right now. 100% agree. And, and I, I, I'm just so excited too. I, I think it would be fun to talk about the origin story of this project. What sparked your interest? What inspired everyone to become involved with this and pursue it? We got involved in this project because we had already, I mean, this, the easy story is that we were already involved with a couple of public media stations that were participating in a previous project focused on families learning across boundaries. We were interested in studying the ways in which families kids and their parents and caregivers were, were bridging the learning that they did in schools and their local communities and homes. And um, we had a couple of fantastic public media station partners in some of this work. And, and it was, was um, reminding us of, of the critical role public media stations play in the communities uh, in which kids live. And at the same time, connected with um, visionary people at CPB who were thinking about a tween and teen audience. We all know that public media provides really rich resources for young children, but after about a certain age, say seven or eight, they move into new media opportunities for themselves that may not be as um, they may not be as well represented in the public media sphere. And so, with CPB, we started thinking about what a project might be that would be research focused to learn more about youth. Uh, the, the, the tween and teen demographic, what are those kids like today? What are their media habits? And also, what is the potential for the public media stations themselves as community-based organizations of various kinds, as well as the larger network to develop new ways of thinking about kids and as an audience, but engaging them in a different way as well. So this all started about a year ago in a series of meetings to sort of blue sky brainstorm like what how could we use this opportunity to focus on this 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 important audience you know it's hard to think of a more important audience um, as kids who's who are developing their sense of self and their connections to their communities um, all in this fairly messy and quickly evolving media landscape like what how can media public media specifically play a role that is um, a reliable guide and resource to those kids specifically and use that as an exercise also to to get public media really engaged in, in that work uh, as as the, the the folks that we're most trying to serve. And I'm really inspired by the title we landed on, 
by, with, and for youth, inspiring next generation public media audiences. Something that we're finding very early on is that that a majority of media um, in traditional networks and in public media that's designed uh, with teens in mind tends to be for teens uh, and tweens rather than made with teens and tweens or even by teens and tweens. Where are we finding positive examples of uh, media that is made with and by teens rather than for them? First of all, the by, with, and for uh, way a framework for thinking about youth media production is very helpful in a way in which the stations, I think, imagine the possibilities, each of which has its own unique uh, affordances or, or constraints around how they how they can actually do the work. Typically, public media thinks of itself as creating broadcast content that's widely scalable. So Sesame Street, of course, is an example. But you know, as you go, as you age up, you're creating a single uh, instance of a particular media asset a show, for example, and then that goes out to everybody. It's the same experience for everybody, and and hopefully you've you've designed it well so that you have an audience for that work, and it, it's it's something that's that's useful to them to educate, to entertain, and so forth. Um, so the, 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 the public media has always leaned heavily on the four, but some stations around the country have also, like, like a lot of youth serving CBOs, nonprofits, and other media organizations, figured out how to make media with kids. So inviting kids in to participate in the process of generating content, whether it's um, focused on kids as an audience or not, um, or, more radically by kids where, where the kids are really handed over the, the, the tools, the, the authentic tools of media production and not only the, the uh, sort of functional producers of the work, but also deciding what it's about um, because they are thinking about themselves as the producers and the audience at the same time. Um, the, the, you were mentioning um, student reporting labs, for example, which is a, yes. uh, a, pro- a project that is across several stations where kids themselves are, you know, creating the news themselves, doing their own reporting, which is fantastic. Um, there's a program here in New York at WNYC called Radio Rookies. Um, there's youth radio uh, in the Bay Area. Um, so there are some fantastic examples of uh, of kids who really in the driver's seat doing doing the work. And what I love about it the most is that they're often driven to to the public, they may seem like kids doing the the things that we already kind of know are salient about making media. But those the, the the organizations themselves are often driven by youth development principles, and the ways in which they measure their impact are about the the youth the, how the kids develop their own sense of strength and, and efficacy and 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 uh, accomplish things on their own, rather than simply like the quality of the media that they produced. Both are important, but it's more it's more uh, it's more audience centric than that, let's say. And I think that's, that's something that I think we need to keep in mind. I think a lot of times, uh, audience engagement is measured after the fact and, uh, through, through data analysis. And in this project, uh, in this project, it's, it's very forward thinking in, in attempting to engage audience members before to inform what programming is developed. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about these different metrics. And then the metric you mentioned, which is also how people feel when they participate in the development of it and what they might be learning just through that process. I think that that's even another measure 
of success here uh, beyond the typical audience engagement metrics? Yeah, I think that so much of media that we consume today is participatory by design, right? That if you think of the, the, the top platforms where people spend their time or what your uh, screen time monitoring app tells you about yourself that you maybe didn't want to know, uh, most of those platforms are places where you consume information of various media types, you know, but uh, the provenance of that media could be commercial from a company, but it could also be your neighbor or somebody far away uh, that you've never met. But the idea that that you are a, a participating in some sort of much larger media playing field and, and you can create and, and participate is, is something that is just what, what kids, kids now understand media to be. It's not all broadcast. Um, and this idea that, that they're, they're in this space. And we, we were talking earlier about how public media has tended to function in a broadcast mode and their ability to assess their audience, know who their audience are and their impact and whether they're actually achieving their goals is fairly limited because like even with, you know, with television today, maybe your, your Nielsen ratings will tell you like how big of an audience you had, or maybe some very high level demographic statements based on their sample, who's, who you're reaching, but you don't really know much about what they thought um, or what it, what, if it changed their, their thinking or behaviors or anything like that. And I think you, you really capture the, the, the value of the ethnographic methodology um, as a, as a way of thinking about your work as, as part of your, your tools, that, that you are not just making stuff and, and hoping for the best. You know, it's possible to have a very inspired idea, but the, you've lost the opportunity to um, engage people around those specific questions and meet those needs, which again, I think is one of those unique affordances of public media. If, if we're meant to be of the, the people, like a truly public offering, like how do you, how do you, how do you include folks in, in the, and determining that work. And, and that was to me that what was so enticing when we first started talking about this project with, with our partners at CPB was how do we use this context of, of engaging a tween and teen audience as a way to think about getting to know them and including them in the process where they, where we discover them and they discover us, uh, the, the old people uh, in the room um, to, to, um, to make something together. And so, so some of it is, is like, you can think of it as, as a set of research skills. Um, you could think of it as, as a set of design skills, you know, to make it really participatory where you're, you're using a discovery process that can be fun and engaging, but also reveal something. So I'm hopeful that this legacy of this project will be leaving behind for stations, um, a set of practices that are just part of, of the way people operate because they see the audience as, as more at the table and not uh, far afield from them. And this audience that's at the table right now is facing a lot of challenges. This has been an overwhelming year as far as uh, both the events we're experiencing, but also the, the news and information about them. We have the pandemic that led to school closures. We've had protests. Um, and then we've also seen things like youth-led uh, uh, protests against climate change. So there's, there's a lot of stressors right now. Um, joblessness, I guess I can just keep listing and listing all of the um, areas that might be causing anxiety for, for certainly the parents, but also for teens and tweens. And um, it seems that right now, more than ever, is a time when public media can be playing a role, particularly um, in helping people navigate useful information, 
um, as a trusted source, as a trusted brand, the types of information they're putting out, the types of programming might be very welcome right now. Um, what I feel like now more than ever, they, the teens and tweens need public media, and it's a time when we're identifying that there are these gaps. So what role is public media playing during the pandemic and the protests, and also what role do you see that it could play moving forward in, in for other crises or helping youth navigate these different current event landscapes? Yeah, it's hard to believe a couple of weeks ago we were only in a pandemic. Um, and now it, it seems almost like a backdrop to a much larger uh, crisis of, of uh, national values and identity and how we actually move forward so that we don't go back. Um, the I think acknowledging the destabilization as the context in which all of this happened is important. Um, you mentioned, you know, schools closing and workplaces closing and everything being remote. And I think uh, in some ways that was provided some kindling for the, the fire that's currently burning. People are scared and, and anxious and um, frankly trapped at home, which is frustrating. Um, uh, and so there was, there's a, a need to come out, but, but it also is happening during this backdrop of gen generation Z, gen Z kids who are already emerging as young leaders in ways that had impressed me, um, before any of this, that they, you know, from research I've read about gen Z and the actual gen Z people, uh, I know, including a few in my house, um, they are pragmatists and action-oriented and less encumbered by um, partisanship and differences in getting in the way of the things that they, they think need getting done. And, um, and someone once described them to me as, as people who are open to widening the circle of concern, that, they're, they're, that they believe that, the, that we all need to succeed together and that they're again they're they, they're not as interested in the differences between people they see us as more bound together which i think I, if you if you wanted to design the most hopeful kind of person to bring us into the next era of our lives as a society or as a human race um that that you need we need gen z if, if those things are true we need to figure out how to give them more um <laughs> more agency support them um, and, and give them that opportunity and, and seed some ground to them. So I think that I think that's I think that that to me seems like an interesting confluence of, of things, right? We've all been inspired by kids' uh, climate action or gun safety, gun control action. Greta, you know, we're I think I think those kids exist, and we that's it's a good opportunity. Media and the media that they consume is not our media the media that we grew up with or the media that we, we think it is. And the kids have a very facile way of moving around um, their sources. They're more critical in some ways. They're not like the, the, you know, the stereotypical people who forward um, a completely fabricated, you know, email to a hundred people. Like they don't do that. They, uh, they, they tend to be pretty critical and multi-source. Like they know where to get stuff. And I, I mean, I listened to a, a an interview with Jason Reynolds, the the YA author that we uh, really admire uh, as a group, we've all all been yeah. following him lately, um, and he um, was speaking about um, 
kids, young kids' perceptions of the news and seeing a lot of really um, scary and troubling stuff on television, right? The protests are pretty violent and, 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 and anxiety provoking, but then also seeing on TikTok, TikTok these stories of people doing things that were funny or kind or creative or making the world better in in for a very first person and present way and how do you how do you consume both of those things at the same time what do you pay attention to what do you take away from the world and i think you know if if anything we might all agree on is that is that the media represent the world in a way that is hyper that basically stimulates our, our brains in a ways that that promote engagement and maybe raise the dopamine levels and and, and maybe let, make us less healthy psychologically um, and to be able to be aware of that and step away and look for other sources of information that are uh, more positive and connective um, is, a, is a good moment. So you, you mentioned things like, um, what is the role of media in this new era? Is it, you know, there, there's an idea of trust and truth that have, has been called into question and who's partisan or who's giving spin or making it up versus uh, really representing things. And public media has always, I think, been so well regarded as the, the place where you knew you could get some sort of reporting that just tried to represent reality. Um, and that there's, I think that will be something that's highly valued in the future. Um, the verifiability of, of information and the, the lack of manipulation and spin. Um, and some of that comes from authentic connection and the idea of what community is. You know, there's research that shows that people who use social media are less happy if the audience, their audience is big uh, and, un, and less known to them personally, whereas people who use social media communicate with a smaller circle of known people tend to be uh, happier. I think I'm probably getting some of those details wrong, but it makes sense on some fundamental level that you, that, that so much of being a human means connecting with people uh, and there's only so much your brain can handle in terms of a community. And so focusing on 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 actual real people and the trust among them seems like a direction that that's powerful and and positive for us. This is reminding me at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about um, how for many people in our age group, we think of public media in, um, in terms of our own childhood experiences. And uh, when consistent, uh, element of your responses has been very people-centered, very centered on the actual, like uh, on the person. And, and it makes me, re it reminds me of how Mr. Rogers was always, it always felt like it was just for me, you know, just for you as the child. And, and I always felt that way about Sesame Street too. And hearing that that's part of the legacy and tradition of public media, especially in this moment where um, we're more quantified than necessarily um, thought of as uh, being important just for us uh, is 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 really inspiring and something that for right now is important as we're kind of being tossed around in the sea of a lot of information and it seems like a really good place to, for intervention um, by public media to to address teens and tweens. Um, I think that's a really uh, positive place to end is just that as we move into the future, this is a place for curation and positivity uh, and, and really thinking about the people we're building and the people we're, we're nurturing. And I, I, I see you taking notes. So were there some final thoughts you wanted to share before we sign off on this podcast? It's been really fun to talk about these things. Obviously, I think we both care a lot about this as, a, as an opportunity. Um, that this is an opening. 
I think there's this idea that we've we've optimized a lot of systems that we all live with, policing, education, healthcare, that have actually not served the interests of people as much as we'd hoped, right? That that as as the systems have grown and uh, adapted and become more kind of calcified in some ways that they have not had the same human-centered outcomes they were originally designed for. And I think it's helpful, you, you just mentioned Mr. Rogers and maybe people don't recognize because he's such a, he's, he's been around in our, in our cultural um, landscape for so long that what he did on television when he started was revolutionary. The idea that he would just talk directly to children in a way that um, made them feel seen and, and uh, understood and and safe and welcome like that that had not ever been done before never over a medium like television um, which itself was was fairly new for everybody um, and so why why not take a step back and actually think about people and what they need as a sort of place to begin a redesign process that's much more participatory I think like now now's a as good a time as any thank you I think making people feel seen and welcome is an excellent goal for this project. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today, Michael. Thanks. I really enjoyed talking.